to the Clemson podcast. Clemson is 10-0. The check to pay Will Muschamp's buyout bounced when they had to pay Appalachian State $900,000 for the privilege to lose. Clemson are your defending national champions, and life is good. Welcome back, everyone, to the Clemson podcast. I am your host, Nick, and I'm joined tonight by Ben. We are here to break down the NC State game, talk through the second edition of the 2019 College Football Playoff Committee rankings, and generally talk through where we are through 10 weeks of this season. And it's good to be back on the air with you. How are you doing? Doing good, man. Um, and, you know, I had Cody last week. He's out in the suburbs now, so he's got quite the travel uh, to and from work. So he ends up having me record at 830 at night. And then here you are, um, father of two children. Um, and I'm still recording at 830 at night. We say dinner beforehand this time. But uh, I think the moral of the story is maybe I just need a girlfriend. You know, 8.30 is really a good time to get into these type of leisure activities in the evening, but I want to know what Cody's excuse is. You know, it seems like, I don't know, comparatively, he's got a lot less going on. Well, you know, from an outsider's perspective, I think if you just have a woman in your life, uh, you've got a lot, a lot more. Yeah, um, you, have, you, have le- you have less time on your hands. Um, so maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what I need. Um, so any single yeah. female podcast listeners out there, hit me up. Don't mm. know if they exist. Um, yeah, you know, hit me up Clemson podcast at gmail.com at Clemson podcast, Facebook and Twitter. And, uh, I am totally going to get catfished by moose. Aren't I? Oh, it's going to be great. I've already created <laughs> the fake Twitter account to, uh, to catfish you. So we'll be good. Uh, Ben, we, I do want to thank on behalf of the co-hosts and our listeners, how, consistent you've been with the podcast you're basically our cal ripkin um so we we appreciate all the work you do for the show keeping us recording every single week yeah um, did i mention um, i was single it, these are correlation is not causation <laughs> man um it you know it's all good it's football season what are you gonna it do? is it is football season um and it always seems to come at a, at a good time for me so helps you exactly. get over it helps you get over things and um uh distract you from life exactly uh, with that distractions and, you know, football being the best one that we've got in the fall, uh, a lot going on, really. This is one of the best uh, college football weekends, I think, of this season. Uh, there are definitely a few others in October that were pretty fun. Um, I can think back to kind of the Florida LSU game weekend. That was really great. We kind of saw LSU emerge. And um, I got to tell you, Ben, like, I did not expect LSU to beat Alabama this week. You know, we heard reports. I think we've all seen Alabama's defense had our own questions about that, but there's just something about the way that Alabama beat LSU last year. And uh, you got to see it to believe it. They got to prove it to, you know, really, really get the sense that they were, they were worthy of thinking they could beat Alabama. And um, I don't know, that that was an amazing game and I got to get my hat off to, or take my hat off, I guess, to Orgeron and kind of that whole LSU team and coaching staff. 
Um, they soundly beat Alabama. And I know it was kind of a single digit margin there. Bama certainly made mistakes early on, but um, it was pretty cool to see kind of LSU just get it done and make the plays down the stretch to keep, keep that game in, in hand. Yeah, you know, the thing is, nobody's been really giving LSU credit throughout the year, even with the kind of transformative offense you've seen uh, with Joe Burrow uh, under center this year. And it kind of reminds me of like a 2015 Clemson team. You know, I've been I've been thinking that LSU is probably a pretty solid team here the last several weeks, and I'm not surprised they beat them. I'm surprised that they were beating them as bad as they were in the first half. And yeah. I mean, I guess you got to give some credit to Alabama for coming back and making it a game. Yeah. My big takeaway out of this one is both defenses are not good and neither scare me. Um, oh, I'm, I'm with you entirely. I feel like if you can run the ball, you're good because both, both teams were able to run on one another. Um, yeah. Like we can definitely kind of break down opponents. And as we get into talking about the college football playoff rankings, but I agree with you. That was kind of my takeaway all along. I was like, especially with Alabama, I was like, you know, let's bring it, bring in version number five, like Clemson, Bama five. I'm, I'm all about that. Well, and it kind of felt like uh, Clemson, Bama four in the first half of that game. Right. Where it was just kind of a, a one-sided lopsided affair. And um, I guess what you can kind of think about with Clemson is we didn't let Bama up off the mat in the second half in the natty game. Whereas LSU, um, and I'd have to go back uh, and watch that game. I was in Canada um, at a bachelor party and was not having the exact focus in the second half. We were kind of moving around a little bit. But um, in the second half, I don't know if LSU got conservative with play calling or if Bama made the right adjustments. I mean, certainly from the offensive end, you could tell they committed to the run. Um, Tua threw four touchdown passes in this game. He had a terrible start. That fumble was insane. Uh, it just felt like it was not his day. And we've seen in the past when, uh, Tua is kind of when he's had kind of a tough start, wasn't really able to make the mental adjustments. So perhaps he's turned a new leaf. Um, but yeah, it was very much an exciting game for kind of the casual observer. Yeah, well, Tua is coming off that injury, so I think he was a bit rusty. And as much as we like to hate on Alabama and the and the SEC, I still do think that I mean LSU and Alabama are still clearly two of the best teams in the country. Where they all shake out in the rankings, uh, you know, I have no problem with Alabama coming out and being number five in this current ranking, although they really haven't beaten anybody this year outside of what Texas A&M. So the fact that they came back and made it a close game, I think justifies them being ranked where they are. But had that been a blowout and that continued to be a blowout, I've been really interested to see how far they would have fallen. Yeah. And I guess just like the difference there was that 84 yard touchdown play, right? Like that, that could ultimately have swung. Let's say they peter out on that drive. Like, you know, 12 point plus margin in this game. That looks like a lot different result than what it ended up being. So um, anyway, there's obviously been a lot of ink spilled about this game already. Everyone's kind of read about it, heard about it, listened to it, talked to friends about it. Awesome football game in and of the season. I think we learned a lot about both sides and I feel like LSU is clearly the better team this, this season. Yeah. Based on that game, especially when you think about Alabama being the home team. Yeah, exactly. And props to LSU for not buckling. You know, when the when it was going in the second half and Alabama started coming back, it reminded me of that Patriots-Falcons Super Bowl uh, from a few years ago where, you know, Tom Brady and the Patriots started coming back and you're like, oh, here it comes. Atlanta's doomed. Uh, but LSU was able to hold on in Tuscaloosa 
in that environment. Joe Burrow played great. And I don't think they scored in the third quarter, but they did what they had to do in the fourth quarter, and they won the game. Yeah, and they, and, cool. they, and they deserve to be number one. I, I think they uh, deservedly jumped Ohio State. Um, although uh, Ohio State had a big win over Maryland, although who knows what Maryland is. Yeah. Uh, but as the rankings shake out, I, I think as a Clemson fan going into the weekend, you knew as long as we won, well, as long as we won handily, like we should have, that it was going to break out where Clemson was three and LSU Ohio State if they were, were going to be one, two. And I think just the way that game went, LSU gets the nod. Obviously, that's a huge win on their resume, and they do have a better resume at this point than Ohio State does when you're talking about their ranked wins. So as far as one, two, three goes, I have absolutely no gripes. I I think it's a fair ranking. Yeah, let's break it down real quick. So for those living under a rock who might have just tuned into our podcast and did not hear anything about the second week of the College Football Playoff Committee rankings, LSU did move up to number one. Uh, Or were they number one coming into the weekend, Ben? No, no, Ohio State was. Yeah. That's right. So there were, it was kind of Ohio State 1, LSU 2 this past weekend with Alabama at 3. Um, so LSU is now number 1. Then we have Ohio State. Clemson move up to number 3. Georgia, they yeah, of the South Carolina loss, are at number 4. <laughs> um, and Bama moved just one spot down from 4 to 5. I'm sorry, from 3 to 5 with their loss. Um, so that's kind of the top five. I feel like we can kind of pause there, but, uh, Bama, you know, you could call it the best loss that exists on anybody's resume this year because it was a close loss to the number one team. Uh, that's what kept them close as well as the committee really giving themselves an out and some leeway to move them back into that top four, depending, depending on how the SEC plays out. Yeah. Well, and they're doing that with Georgia too. Listen, I mean, starting just as Clemson fans, uh, nobody should be complaining about the rankings anymore. Uh, you can make fun of them for sure, like we're going to do, but we're, we're, we're fine we're, wherever we end up being, right? As long as we went out and do our thing, I don't care if we land one through four, we're going to be in the playoffs and we're going to be just fine. The interesting thing comes, again, really don't have much problem with Alabama being there, but Georgia at four is atrocious. They lost to South Carolina at home. It's a terrible South Carolina team who just lost to Appalachian State this weekend. And I just – it, it baffles me well, how, you, how, how anybody would think Georgia's the, the number four team in the country. I'm not justifying it on their behalf. I agree with what you said. Like They've shown enough flashes of not actually controlling games and being dominant to where I question kind of their, their worth or their worth, you know, worthiness. I mean, I think what the committee is telling us is you're able to get them all again if you have a quality win. And Georgia beat Florida number 11, Notre Dame number 16. Like, I think they're willing to look past a loss to South Carolina. Yes, that's an embarrassing loss. That's terrible. But look no further than Clemson's past performances, having lost to Pitt, having lost to Syracuse, still being able to get in uh, based on the merit of having, you know, top 25 wins. Um, I don't think it, I, I don't think it's great. It's just kind of, I'm explaining what I'm observing from this committee's decision-making. Well, and I think clearly what it's setting up when you look at the top five here is, there's almost certainly going to be two SEC teams again in the college football playoff. I think just looking at one through five there, um, unless Oregon goes and wins out and wins the Pac-12, and the committee thinks highly enough of them. But let me paint I, you. A, let me paint you a picture of how three SEC teams could actually get in. 
let's say Georgia wins out, including winning the SEC championship game against LSU, and that's LSU's only loss, right? So at that point, even if Bama wins out, you can't rank Bama above LSU because LSU beat them head-to-head, and you can't penalize LSU for a championship game loss. But if those things happen, and either Minnesota loses a game but beats Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game, or Clemson drops a game, and then either Oregon or Utah lose but goes on to win the Pac-12, when you do all that math, it could very well be that you see Georgia 1, LSU 3, uh, Alabama 4 with either a Clemson or Ohio State sitting there at number 2. I just threw up a little bit in my mouth uh, from that scenario, but you're absolutely right, and it's insane. Uh, that, yeah, being said, I, that being said – how great would it be to have those three teams in the college football playoff and Clemson goes in and beats two of them to win the national championship? Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of pulling for that. Sounds pretty sweet. Yeah, exactly. I mean, at that point, to go 30-0, and 0, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I have a new Christmas wish. Thank you, Ben. You're That's welcome. outstanding. Uh, I think the, the – I, I don't want to call this the most realistic because I do want to ask you, like, where do you think this will all shake out? I think what it would take – like let's put it this way, Alabama is not getting in, and you're if you're kind of a if you're hoping to keep Alabama out because you know we've seen them in the past kind of sneak in without a conference title, and then they went on to win the title. They beat us. If you want Alabama out, you are the biggest Oregon fan right now. You want yeah. Oregon has a very close loss to an Auburn team, a good Auburn team that's ranked twelfth. Um, that that will be seen as a good loss, and otherwise they've. Again, they, they don't have very many ranked wins on their schedule, or they will not, but they do get that Utah matchup. And if they can convincingly beat Utah, I think they'll easily jump Alabama because they will have at least one marquee win on their schedule. In a conference um, championship, and uh, yeah, like you mentioned, a close loss to an Auburn team in a, a neutral site the first game of the year. Exactly. And you know, you could say, well, Alabama is going to play that same opponent, and if Alabama beats their ass, like, you know, that could be the comparison point the committee will use. I don't know. I just think that sends a, a very bad signal to other conferences that, like, tough. If you're not an SEC school, you, you have to be undefeated to get into the playoff. Like, oh, I think that's actually a, a strategic decision that they're not going to make unless they're doing that to try to expand the playoff to eight teams. Yeah, I mean, uh, conference officials would be absolutely livid if that was the scenario. Yeah, for sure. So I, for one... Uh, and pulling for basically Oregon to run the table in convincing fashion just to I, – I don't really want two SEC teams in. I feel like it's just not not great for anybody to have that play out. Unless it's three teams, in which case we got to run the table. Then exactly. that would be amazing. It's so, one, so, so it's one or three. That's what we're saying. We either want one or all three. Exactly. Um, gotcha. So I am curious, Ben, I mean, you know, to put a bow on us talking about the rankings for this week – Knowing what the schedule looks like for LSU down the stretch, Ohio State down the stretch, of the four remaining teams, I think Georgia's got the toughest slate of the top four. They play Auburn this weekend. They're going to play LSU. Presumably they beat Auburn and they beat whatever hapless team they're going to play. They've got Texas A&M and Georgia Tech after that. Right. So Texas A&M, who incidentally is like the Kevin Bacon of the playoff rankings, they play everybody. You're only one degree of separation away from AM. Um, Georgia should run the table through that, assuming they get by Auburn. Then they have LSU. So that's kind of a, a tough slate, two top 12 teams. Um, Clemson, we got nobody. All good. 
Um, there's not even a coastal team in our sites um, to, to enter the picture. Uh, Ohio State's got Penn State and then Michigan, both of whom are ranked top 15. And then LSU would have presumably Georgia. They also have Texas A&M and Arkansas, which is... And Mississippi. And, and Ole Miss. Um, Arkansas is microwave garbage at this point. So, yeah, it probably goes Clemson, LSU, Ohio State, Georgia, in terms of difficulty down the stretch. So the thought being, I feel like Georgia is probably going to lose to LSU. Um, Bama will probably beat Auburn, and then that'll be their year. But it really depends on whether Oregon and or Utah can convincingly you know, make their case to, to overcome. Yeah, and I think it's got to be Oregon at this point because Utah's losses to Southern Cal, an unranked team. I mean, they're, they're, they're an okay team, but they're not a terrible team. They're no South Carolina. But I think just because of that loss, the stigma of being in the Pac-12, that the Pac-12 is going to have to hang their hat on Oregon winning out and, and taking it all. Let me ask Brand, you this. Brand, well, real quick yeah. on, on that, I agree with you. I also think brand matters. And I feel like Oregon has a head coach in Mario Cristobal, came from kind of the Miami and SEC. Uh, background you know they have justin herbert kind of a household name quarterback there's a pedigree there they've made the playoff in the past made the yeah. national cha- championship game in the first year like they have nike I think there's, yeah they have nike like there's a talent level at oregon they're a blue chip i believe they're recruiting at a blue chip level or majority blue chip like it, you could see the committee giving oregon the pass there over an undeserving alabama team so i feel like um yeah that would be and presumably utah finishes higher than auburn um, in these rankings, if Auburn has two more losses, so yeah, um, and, th- and at that point, Oregon w- w- will be on a, what a twelve-game winning streak, right? Yeah, it's so pretty yeah, impressive. yeah. So I, I think the Pac-12 definitely has to hang their hat on Oregon. So yeah, let me ask you this: Is there a scenario in which you see a, the top three teams as they sit right now, LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson, all winning out, but Clemson ends up at number one or two? Like, personally, I, I really I find a hard. I have a hard time seeing that scenario where Clemson moves up from number three. A loss to South Carolina might do the trick because apparently that, that looks good on your resume. Uh, you jump up. Um, no, you're right. I don't think we're moving past three at this point, um, right or wrong. Uh, it's a, and we'll get into this kind of as we dig into Clemson a bit more. We are a Clemson podcast after all. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't really see us being able to do anything style points or otherwise to move up, provided LSU you and know, Ohio State went out. Um, and if they don't win out, I think we could easily get jumped. I don't really see Clemson moving up unless, unless like all three of those teams lose a game. I also think it's, I think it's unlikely that we would get jumped at number three because one of those teams is going to have to lose. There's no undefeated teams behind us unless Minnesota runs the table and beats Ohio state. Yeah. Baylor. Baylor. (laughs) (laughs) I don't Baylor might be in that unfortunate position of even if they went, went out like Oklahoma, can lose two more games like and and that win cannot be that impressive like if baylor beats oklahoma coming up here um and i don't know who they'd even face in the big 12 rematch title game whatever they call it um yeah baylor ain't making it (laughs) baylor baylor has a lot of very close wins this year they just went to triple overtime with tcu um they're gonna finish the season like you said with oklahoma versus texas and then at kansas yeah We'll it's, see. It's tough sledding for them. Yeah. I, think, I think they're too far back in the rankings, although we did see Minnesota jo- uh, jump nine spots after their win against Penn State. But I just, I've, a lot of things have to go right for Baylor. Yeah. Although, let's talk about Minnesota sitting there at 9-0. and 
Dude. If if they go on to win out and beat Ohio State, which I think is highly unlikely, because I think well, they they'll, they'll also play Wisconsin. They play Wisconsin for Paul Bunyan's axe in the rivalry week, so they could pick up another top fifteen win, and then re, like go up against Ohio State in the Big Ten title game. And my knee jerk, re- my, my knee jerk reaction there is, well, Wisconsin had some bad losses. Are they really that good? But I keep finding myself looking into this top twenty five and probably everything from about. I don't know, eight, eight back, eight mm. to 25. And I keep asking myself, I'm like, is that team really that good? I know they have this one and that win, but is that team they beat that good? And then I ask like, myself, who would you replace them with? And I'm like, I don't know. So I think yeah. that's part of the problem is that our perspective is a little skewed because we're playing and we have been playing over the past several years at a much higher level than, you know, many of these teams. So maybe that's just what teams in those ranges play like. Yeah. Could be. We have not been in that range for a long time. Um, but yeah, it's. I think you're right. I think it, I think though all the like pecking order there after really number ten, let's say, is a lot about manufacturing the pecking order of the top five and figuring out like quality wins, number of teams that are in there that have been on schedules. Um, I I have not tracked how closely this mirrors things like SP plus or even the AP poll. Um, I imagine the AP poll tends to resemble college football committee rankings from the previous week. They, the writers tend to follow what the committee says over time. But in any event, none of these teams are on our schedule. No. So the AP actually has Alabama and Georgia swap. They have Alabama at four and they've got Minnesota at seven ahead of Utah at number eight, but otherwise the top 10 is the exact same. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk chaos scenarios, I think it is Minnesota coming and crashing the party. Otherwise, chaos scenarios involve Clemson and Ohio State dropping games, um, and then you're talking the SEC nightmare scenario. I don't really know. I mean, you know, there's probably not a world where LSU loses a game that is not against Georgia. Um, Has Georgia won the SEC East at this point? They're pretty much in, right? I think, no, I think Florida still has a chance. Yeah, so if Georgia loses to Auburn, which is a conference game and not a division game, and then they play Georgia Tech, right? So they play I guess that's the, that's the scenario if Georgia loses, Florida wins against whoever they play this week. Florida's um, got Missouri and then end the season with Florida State. Right. So anyway, still could be Florida, I guess, but... Um, but Georgia, Georgia would Georgia have to Florida. Georgia would have to lose to both Auburn and Texas A&M because Georgia has already beaten Florida, so that would mean they need one more loss in conference. Conference loss, right? Yeah. And Florida lost to LSU as well. So, so let me paint you a picture of how four SEC teams get in the college football playoff. Do it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just joking. It's not going to happen. <laughs> not yet. I don't know if I think a little bit longer on this. I haven't given any thought. I bet we could figure out a scenario. Yeah. Yeah, let's not do that. Um, all right, well, I guess like we can wrap it up there, but I was going to ask you, like, who do you want to play of these, let's call it the top six teams, because I don't really know that there's a – we're talking like less than 5% chance that Utah, Minnesota, Penn State, Oklahoma, or anybody else get in. Uh, it's really among the top six at this point. That's going to dictate. And I don't know, just, you know, styles make matchups. Like, who do you really see as the opponent that you want to play the least and an opponent you want to play the most? So, well, I'll first say this. I am completely fine with us blowing out teams in the playoffs. I don't need to see close games uh, to be entertained. 
And it's you actually get a little bit more bragging rights even if you win the national championship if you go through and blow everybody out like we did last year. Uh, that being said, I will say the team for me that's the biggest unknown right now. After seeing LSU and Alabama play, I kind of know they both have great offenses. They both have terrible deep, well, not terrible defenses, but just not the typical level of Alabama and LSU, LSU defenses that you've seen in the past. I'm going to go with Ohio State because I still really don't know about them. Um, yeah. They yeah. haven't they haven't been tested. You thought that Wisconsin was going to test them, but that wasn't the case. Uh, what Wisconsin, Wisconsin also well, lost Wisconsin. to Northwestern, right? Yeah, no, they lost to Illinois. Um, same with, thing. Yeah, pretty much same state. So uh, Wisconsin, I watched that game. In the first half, was Wisconsin played them tough. What Wisconsin did not do is play any type of modern offense whatsoever. Well, nobody They're, in the Big Ten does. Yeah, exactly. State. So I think it's it's the case where um, they haven't been tested by a complete elite team yet. And we're not likely to see that. I'm really, I really hope that nothing messes this up. And again, it's going to be cool to watch Ohio State, Penn State play. It'll be instructive for us. Um, I would not call Penn State an elite team. I don't think they're the number nine team in the country. They apparently have a good defense, although Minnesota gashed them all day. I think Minnesota will be an interesting matchup for Ohio State. It's not like they have a high-powered, dynamic spread-based offense um, necessarily, but it, it will be one. It'll be one of the tougher tests that they face. I just think the moment will probably be too big for the Minnesota team. Talent will prevail, and we may still not learn all that much about Ohio State. So Yeah. Um, well, and I kind of like the way that the rankings are shaking out right now as far as Clemson is concerned. I think, number one, I just always kind of want to beat an SEC team at this point in, in the championship game. So, you know, you got LSU there at one. They'd be playing number four, Georgia. You can swap Georgia and Alabama, four or five, whatever. So the winner of that game is going to be an SEC game, putting them into the championship. And then we'd have Ohio State in the first game. Um, and, you know, if you want to be the best, I want to see us beat the best. Yep. Um, so, but yeah, I, yeah, I would still say Ohio State's the biggest un, unknown, the one that I can't speak to as confidently about, about how we would match up against them like I can some of these other teams. Yeah, and maybe another way to say that, like I, I feel like what we have seen, you can only go off what games they've played. Um, they've, they appear to be the most complete team in the country in terms of quality of talent and what they're showing on both sides of the ball. I want Brent Venables to have the three to four weeks to plan for them versus yeah, the, the, the you know week, week and a half for the championship game. Um, based on what we've seen from the offense of Georgia, the defense of Alabama, and the defense of LSU, I feel like we can kind of we can game plan a bit better. Yeah, and you can make the argument, well, Ohio State hasn't really played a tough schedule, but that's kind of putting it in the same boat as Clemson, right? And what I would say to that is that's fine. You can't help what your schedule is, but are you beating teams like you should be beating them? And Ohio State has been doing that. No close games this year that I can recall. Their defense has played outstanding this year, and their offense is really good. Yep, uh, which is interesting. It's first-year head coach. Um, we'll see. He really hasn't been put in a position to play you know, to actually do very much in-game coaching. Uh, that may change down the stretch. And I welcome, you know, Dabo, Brent Venables, and our two offensive coordinators uh, to out-coach a uh, rookie head coach. So um, I'd be cool if the playoff field was as it stands right now. I think um, perhaps in the offseason, I would say, no, nah, let's get Georgia out of there. Um, I'd even welcome Alabama over Georgia. I think I, I might have said that in the season preview episodes, but um, kudos to Sam, by the way, for p- 
picking LSU to make the playoff earlier. I feel like LSU almost could not miss the playoff at this point. I feel like even with the loss, they're probably not going to drop much past four. Well, I don't know if you lose to Old Miss in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, it's just not happening. Yeah, and that's that's definitely not happening. Right. Although exactly. you know, Kentucky lost to Evansville in basketball tonight, so anything's it's possible. It's true. I hate to see that. Um, cool. Well, any other thoughts? I guess on the playoff rankings in general. Now, I think I think at this point it's still all a dog and pony show, right? You know the oh it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of it's kind of a cop out by the committee. They're leaving themselves. They're putting Georgia at four. Like, well, you know, Georgia's had the opportunity to prove themselves or not. Either they win the SEC or they don't. If they don't, they're not going to be in. Yep. Um, yeah, it's it's really setting themselves up for future weeks to make moves. Yeah, there's a, um, there's, there's a lot of football left to be played still over the next few weeks here. And something you know, we have, yeah, something we, we haven't talked about. Things continue to shake out. Good. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was just going to say, like, the big, we talk about the Pac 12. Like, coming in, it's been a rough kind of three, four years for that conference. They've got two in the top seven already, like right now. And um, really, I, what my point was the Big 12, like how so much hype in the first like five, six weeks of the season about Oklahoma. They went in, they handled Texas, and like they've had two near, like, they've got a loss, a bad loss, and then they almost dropped another one uh, this past weekend. So I don't know. I, it's interesting how far they've fallen. Well, it's funny that when you think about the conferences, you know, Clemson and in the ACC and then Oregon and Utah in the Pac-12 is, is a very similar situation because the Pac-12 does not have another team in the top 25 outside of those two. And likewise, the ACC does not have anybody else in the top 25 outside of Clemson. Whereas some of these other schools obvi- or conferences, obviously you have the SEC, which has three teams in the top five and then a smatter, you know, a smattering of other teams littered throughout the top 25. And then, you know, the big 12 has a handful of teams in there. They're just their highest ranked team right now is Oklahoma sitting at number 10. Yeah, it's true. Um, big 10 is pretty well represented as well. Um, yeah. And the G five probably has the most top 25 teams that they've had Cincinnati and Memphis at 17, 18 uh, Boise state, Navy and app state even made the list. So, well, that Appalachian state went over South Carolina really catapulted them back into, into yeah. the raking sending at number 25. They beat UNC bet, bet, you know, by more than we did. So kudos to app state. They're, uh, they're not going to win the Carolinas this year because they don't play us. And we have more wins against Cal- Carolinas based teams, but I really wish, I really wish that they would not have lost that game to Georgia Southern. I think it was because they'd be sitting here at nine and zero right now with at least for a group of five teams, some quality wins on their schedule. Yeah, it's crazy. They only, they only lost by a field goal there, but that did them in. Um, damn option teams. What are you going to do? Um, all right, Ben. Well, we're 30 minutes in. This is a Clemson podcast. Why don't we talk about Clemson football? Let's do it. So on, on this weekend, Ben, um, Clemson took its penultimate road trip of the game of this of the season up to Raleigh to play at North Carolina State. They were the national game. We had the basically the game day crew. You had Fowler, Herb Street, and Maria Taylor uh, covering this game, which is really interesting. I don't know at what point they decided to do that, but they got to watch and uh, announce a 45 point blowout. Um, Clemson won 55 10 going away. What was the score at halftime? It's like 35 nothing. 35 nothing. Yeah. Um, snooze are all the way, but uh, 
plenty, I think, to take away from this game in terms of... Um, oh, 42 nothing. <laughs> oh, f- oh, sorry. Yeah, that's right, the Justin Ross touchdown. So, yeah, it was 28 in the first quarter, 14 in the second. Yeah, um, incredible kind of first half. Really, that was, a, that was something that people talked about throughout the week was with Clemson landing at number five in the first college football playoff rankings, despite being 24-0 going into that, um, really getting disrespected by that ranking. The thought was, oh... Clemson needs some style points to, you know, continue to assert its position as one of the best teams in the country, justify its spot in the CFP top four. And we saw it, we saw it out of the gates. I think long gone at this point of the season are any questions about conservative play calling or, you know, putting the, the governor on this offense a bit. I feel like from the gun, they were very much on, you know, on getting the ball moving down the field and opening up the offense um, we really saw highlight plays from all the playmakers on this offense um, going pretty deep into the depth chart. Yeah, I mean, we crushed them, period. And we all said it as soon as we saw that number five ranking for Clemson that North Carolina State was going to get slaughtered. And, I mean, it's it's easy enough to get motivation up to go play play a Dave Dorn team. Uh, but for then for that to happen, that number five ranking, the writing was on the wall there, and it was all over as, as soon as that happened. And it was a lot of fun. You know, you really love to see wins like that. Go up 28 nothing in the first quarter. You know, Clemson's now outscored North Carolina State 96-17 to in the last two meetings. Um, so just a beautiful thing. Again, couldn't happen to a, to a better guy, and, uh, Dave Dorn. And, you know, to, to, to his, I guess, credit or his defense, North Carolina State was down 11 starters coming into the game. And I think the other 11 went down during the game. So... Mm. You know, we were practically playing against their second and third teams all night. And it did look like it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's kind of like, you know, kudos to the team for staying focused and the coaching staff for really sh- allowing us a glimpse into what this team's offensive potential was and to the defense for causing a lot of turnovers, causing a lot of friction for um, NC State's first year quarterback and really playing an awesome game. I feel like this is a game where you started to see shadows or shades of what, what we would hope this team to be at their peak potential for the year. Um, probably some stuff to clean up. You know, I know you watched the, the full game. I watched a little bit of a recap of the game, um, the condensed version. Kudos to the people that put those out on YouTube. You're doing God's work. Um, but anyway, I feel like I, I want to talk a little bit, Ben, about some of the things that we've seen over the last couple games that are starting to reveal not necessarily new wrinkles of the offense, but things that the coaching staff is really trying to emphasize. And on the offensive side of the ball, I think for me that starts with Trevor Lawrence in the running game with designed runs or really giving him the opportunity and the freedom to scramble with the ball. And there were a couple of plays. I know we all remember last year when ETN broke the first play against Pitt in the ACC championship game where Trevor Lawrence ran down ETN on that play. Um, there are, there was a play this game, I think it was in the second quarter, where he basically just he outran everyone on the field. And he ended up sliding on that play, but um, it was just a, a random first down. But his his peak speed is incredibly fast. Yeah, his straight line speed is great. A lot of it has to do with that long stride that he has. But um, he had that run after the ETN hopped that ball to him on the throwback. Um, he had the, the court, the QB key oh, to yeah. start the second drive when we were pinned yeah. down at the six yard line and he just took off. Yeah. Um, and then one run later on in the, in that same drive, he knocked three defenders out at the same time. 
And that happened earlier in the year, I think against UNC. Like he was taking some licks, but the guys that hit him just crumbled. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's a tough dude, and it's been you know it's been great. It's been a great weapon for him to be able to use his legs. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, we keep every time we see him run now, we're up by a lot. We're like, why are you running, Trevor? Uh, and he was even doing it at the end of games, you know, last year in the playoffs. But you know, that's it's part of the offense. That's part of who he is, and it's football. You know, you can't. You can't baby your players. You got to let them go out there and play. Yeah, you, you don't want to be reckless, but, you know, it, it's part of the game. It's part of this offense, and it's a huge part of this offense and a big reason why we're having the success that we're having this year. And, you know, kind of just in general, you know, you read a lot of articles and stuff like that where we we have these big blowout games. We're up big at halftime, and you see outsiders questioning why do we why we um, haven't pulled our starters yet. Why is Trevor Lawrence running late? Why is he playing – into the second half and they're blaming on the college football committee saying that we need to run up the score, but that's not the reason we need to keep them in so they can get conditioned to play a full game because they're going to have to down the road. You can't just have your quarterback playing two quarters in every game of the year and expect him to go into the playoffs where you're going to need to fall four quarters uh, to be conditioned to play it. So that's why it's, I mean, yes, we're, we're killing people. We still got to get our players the playing time and the reps uh, to, to iron out the kinks on the offense and become familiar with each other and stuff like that. So it's don't blame it on the college football play, playoff committee. Like, you know, these guys need to play. Well said. Um, another thing that occurred to me too, I think part of the reason you're seeing this emergence in the running game with the quarterback position, I go back to how the game played out against Alabama in the national championship game. Clemson's production on first and second down in that game, not very good. Um, I, and forgetting the stats, really Clemson did all its work on third down. We know we've got the passing game. We know we've got all the same talent back. O-line appears to be at or ahead of the level that the team was last year. Alabama's defense wasn't very good last year in the title game. I think the coaching staff can do that, but regardless, they were still able to contain Clemson on first and second down. And I think adding a wrinkle like Trevor Lawrence with his legs and you know what that does also to defending the run with ETN um, and Lynn J. Dixon, I think that adds another wrinkle to this offense that we're going to play most likely a better better defensive team in the playoff this year than we did with Alabama last year. And it just adds more to this team. And I'm, I'm really happy to see it. Yeah, and we struggled with that a little bit early on in the year on first and second downs and engaging, gaining part, positive yardage. And that set us up for a lot of third and longs. And our playbook really hadn't been opened up yet. But now you're seeing both, right? We're we're yeah, having success on for on early downs, and we're also opening up the playbooks, and that is has made this offense so lethal that I still haven't seen a defense. Again, I need to watch more of Ohio State, but I haven't seen a defense out there that I think can stop them. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, so elsewhere in the scope of the offense, I mean, I think it's, it was great to see. And again, these are just like highlight plays that show you the potential. I don't know that there's any lessons to be seen, to be gleaned, but um, T. Higgins just completely burning. Uh, a cornerback. It wasn't even a double move. It was just leg speed um, early on for a touchdown. The Justin Ross passing catch. Um, Justin Ross making the last little step to to cut inside to grab that touchdown. Really, as the the clock ticked out in the first half, those were just two amazing highlights that I, I recall from this game. Uh, that just showcased the talent of our receivers. Trevor Lawrence's arm strength and accuracy. Um, just great stuff. Yeah, and that was even with several drops in this game, and you can chalk that up a lot to, to the conditions out there. It was cold, a little bit damp. Um, but, yeah, I mean, aside from, you know, we talk about his running game, but, 
you know, he's been really hitting his check downs, going through his progressions a lot better as the, the season has gone along, and he's throwing the deep ball with a lot more accuracy. And you put it out there with all those weapons. Like, again, it's, it's, it's a lethal combination. You talk about his stats since that first quarter game at Louisville. He's passing at a, over 77% completion percentage, almost 1,000 yards, 12 touchdowns, and no interceptions. So don't worry about Trevor Lawrence. He's going to be just fine. Yeah, and then, you know, embarrassment of riches. Then we got ETN. Um, what he's added to his game this year in pass catching, he had a long, I don't know if it was a wheel route or just a, a straight straight out route that he ran. Or, a, you know, obviously a, a where he route. Turned, where he turned back and uh, catched that ball. It was yeah. a little bit underthrown. Yeah, that was a wheel route. Underthrown and just amazing focus to come down with that ball. Um, great to see him involved in the passing game and become really that check down guy that you mentioned for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, let alone just everything else he does in the running game. So Yeah, and uh, big props to John Simpson on that play because he had a huge block. Um, yeah, but, sure. yeah, let's talk about ETN. Three touchdowns in this game, two rushing, one receiving. Set a new school record for career touchdowns, beating C.J. Spiller with 51, and he's on his way to being the all-time ACC leader in the career touchdowns. So, And, again, this is all doing this in what two and a half, eventually going to be a three-year career. So, man, what an amazing player and running back he is. It's been so great, and it's, it's so fun watching him run, how violently he runs, how many tackles he breaks, that extra gear that he has. Um, but one amazing stat that I, I, I do want to bring up here is as great as ETN has been, uh, throughout his career, he has had only nine touchdowns of more than 50 yards. C.J. Spiller has had 21, or had 21 in his four-year career which is pretty amazing. It puts in, 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 into perspective how great C.J. Spiller was as well. Yeah. I, that's, I, think, I think at the end of the day, we, you know, C.J. Spiller holds a place in our heart that is you know, never going to go away. It, was, it wasn't as much about the how much and the, the what he did. It was the when and kind of what that meant to the, building. The when, what his personality uh, and what he brought to the table, um, the type of person he was coming back for a senior year. And yeah, yeah, doing it at a time where Clemson needed a guy like that. I mean, guys like him and Taj Boyd and Sammy Watkins and New Hopkins, they really set the stage for all of this. Absolutely. Uh, so hats off to CJ. Amazing that ETN's even in the same conversation. I think that we, really funny, we gave Feaster the 28 when it's really ETN that has that is held up the mantle of top Clemson running back of all time. So. Um, we're spoiled, spoiled as hell, and love both those guys. But you're right. The fact that ETN is breaking these records in, you know, two and three-fourths seasons, I mean, sure, he gets an extra game every – and granted, CJ wasn't playing in ACC title games except for one season. So, you know, you could argue ETN's really getting two extra games on CJ every year. But ultimately, ETN's doing great work. And what's so crazy when you start to look at some of the stats across the country of top running backs – and the number of touchdowns he has, the number of 50-yard plays, 40-yard plays, uh, he's doing that in like a third of the attempts of guys right. like Jonathan Taylor and Chuba Hubbard. So I just feel like that, again, is going to play out very well in the playoff where he's not going to be, you know, he's not going to be too tired out from having run the ball all year like Derrick Henry was uh, back in the day. 
yeah, and I think you saw that play out last year, which is why he probably doesn't complain a lot about his touches. I will say this. I think a lot of credit has to go to the offensive line because their play has really improved as the year has gone on, and that's an advantage that ETN has that, that C.J. Spiller didn't necessarily. Uh, specifically, John Simpson and Jackson Carmen, they have to be one of the best blindside lineman duos that we've ever had. Now, my – uh, my knowledge of history of the offensive line at Clemson is not as great as uh, the skill position players, the quarterback position, and guys on the defense. But just watching those two guys play, I like John Simpson is a high round draft pick. Jackson Carmen is a high round draft pick. That is a damn good left side line. Yeah, I think I'll always have a special place for the Taylor Hearn Mitch Hyatt combo from 2016. But you're right. Like both those dudes could very much go. I mean, Taylor Hearn, I don't think, was drafted. I know he left early to go to the league. And then Mitch Hyatt, we also know, was not drafted. So um, I think you're right just in terms of draft pedigree. And then those dudes could also leave with multiple national championship ranks. Mitch had two. Yeah, well, and John Simpson's leaving with a touchdown run. Yeah, good stuff for him. That was awesome to see. I think, you know, one of the one of the things I asked everybody in the preseason was – who do we think is going to man the beef package? Like who's ultimately going to be grabbing those handoffs now that Dax and Christian Wilkins are gone. A lot of names came through. I don't think John Simpson was mentioned. <laughs> it was not. And the funny thing <laughs> is like when it happened in real time in the game, we thought there must've been a fumble and he jumped on it. And that's how he scored uh, because it's not he only, fell right away. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's not only that you're putting him at running back, but you're also taking him off of the offensive line for that play. Totally. So, Props to the depth and to him for, again, making it an easy play. It wasn't like the Xavier Thomas play earlier in the season. And I love that they call it the freezer package. I'm guessing that's in reference to Refrigerator Perry. Yeah, I think so. Not sure. Anything else on the offense, Ben? Yeah, I do have a couple other things. Uh, a couple negatives here. The offense was sloppy coming out in the second half. They, they, they did overcome some penalties in scoring on their opening drive, which was good to see. Um, but can I, can I ask you real quick, do you, sure. I, and I wasn't watching it with the audio on at the time, but what, um, why did Dabo chew out Amari Rogers? I don't know. I don't remember that in real time. And, um, yeah, it's cool. I, I must've skipped over it when I was rewatching the game. Cause I skip it. I skip between plays. Well, I'll ask you to rewatch it, but I feel like it was not due to anything related to punt, punt return, kind of calling a fair catch too soon, which Darian Kendrick has gotten in your full in the past. Um, I'm wondering if it was just a simple route assignment that he he flubbed, but not as much outrage for that as what we got earlier in the year with uh, with the kicker, BT Potter. Yeah, or, or Booth. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, so a, a couple other things uh, for the offense here before we turn it over. It was good to see them execute it w- uh, well in the two-minute offense in the first half, again, ending with that phenomenal pass from from Lawrence to Ross. And then also in the last episode, Cody, I mentioned, uh, I was talking about the depth on the defense and how much that is necessary because of how fast our offense scores. But on the flip side of that, the depth on the offense is a big deal too because we also get a lot of three and outs on defense, and that happened a lot early in this game. So both offense and defense are, have quick turnovers. And they're having to run out back and forth a lot. And then you have the two turnovers early in this game, right? Yeah, for sure. So with a combination of what you mentioned with tempo, like by design or just by dominance, as well as um, what I would call playing a lot of snaps in the game and having a lot of garbage time, I think this goes to the formula, which 
you could kind of argue it's like the market inefficiency right now in college football is getting depth, getting your guys, getting the depth on your team snaps and reps and developing, you know, guys into true freshmen or redshirt freshmen playing very few snaps in the previous championship season into now 10 games in, you know, getting a significant number of of snaps. Um, We've got tons of true freshmen contributing on this team already. And that's just going to help for future seasons, but could also help in a pinch with an injury and or spelling guys when we're in a blowout situation so that they're a lot more fresh when we are doing the three and out thing, as you mentioned. Yeah, I think that's the X factor. You know, a lot of, a lot of teams have really good talent. Uh, a lot of these teams have really good quarterbacks. Talk about Burrow and Fields, Fromm, Tua, Herbert. But it's that depth. It's the amount of players that, that Clemson plays on average in every game going over 100 twice this year. Like that builds up throughout the season and leads to you having more depth and, and fresher guys when it comes to the playoffs. But then it also trickles into the next year, like you mentioned developing some of those younger guys so when they do have to step into a role the following year when people leave like they're ready because they have real game experience yeah it's awesome a little bit shocked we haven't seen it from other elite teams i mean ohio state seemed to still have starters out there uh they're running up the score they don't get shit about it from the media but it's all good Uh, keep doing what you're doing coaches seems to be working yeah you know what isn't working the wide receiver screens behind the line they still aren't working I got nothing for you on that. Um, It'll work one day. Yeah. Probably, exactly. in the champion, probably in the championship game. That's what we're building it up for. Yeah, it's going to be good. Can't wait. Uh, let's flip to defense. All right, so Clemson's defense in this game, again, another immaculate performance, force of turnovers, living in the backfield, a lot of havoc plays. Uh, so 10 points allowed by Clemson defense in this game. You could argue it should have been higher. NC State turned the ball over late, probably going down to kick a petty field goal or try to score another touchdown. Um, in any event, I think normally you would think NC State can typically pick apart a weakness under defense. Um, you could probably chalk it up to talent and missing starters, as you mentioned, as well as uh, having a green quarterback in this offense. But I also think it's just a matter of this elite defense continuing to hit its stride and under the, you know, amazing coaching of Brent Venables. Yeah. You know, there are, there were some things to nitpick in this game though. Um, the Wolfpack did break off a few big plays that were called back for holding. And then also the defense gave up that long drive to end the half that ultimately ended up with um, that recovered fumble by Xavier Thomas, which was hilarious to watch him just push, push O'Leary out the oh, way the best. to pick up the ball. Yeah. Why don't work? Why don't like, that, that's something that like all football players should be taught to do. Like um, push the guy out of the way first. Yeah. Push the small, especially when he's smaller than you. Um, so there was that in the first half and then they had the touchdown drive to start the second half. Mewson um, Wallace took bad angles on, on that uh, long TD run to, to open up that, that that's or to end that scoring drive. The field was wet. The conditions were not great. Um, so I think uh, that, you know, if we read Quacking Tiger's article on Shaking the Southland, he mentioned that he thought that had a lot to do with it. Um, some of the bad angles that they took in this game, so maybe chalk it up to that. But definitely some uh, some things to clean up. Clean up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if I want to give a little bit of credit to NC State, um, their running back Zonovan Knight had an incredible game. He's really talented. I don't want to say in future years he's going to be a guy for us to look at and, and fear necessarily, um, but definitely was 
was solid in this game. Yeah, 139 yards. You know, Clemson, we talk about how they've gone 10 games now this year and not allowing a team over 300 yards. We did have the streak early in the year where we um, hadn't given up over 100 yards to a running back, and now we've done that twice, uh, Knight being the second time. You know, he got help from that 53-yard run that he had. That skews the numbers. Otherwise, he would have been down below 100. But, um, yeah, you can give credit where credit is due. Yeah, he's dealing with the same field conditions as everybody else. Yeah, for sure. And I think going back to Clemson and, you know, early on in the season, what we expected has in some ways played out. I mean, I think we, we're not getting gashed. We don't have like six games with 100-yard runners, but not necessarily surprised. Wasn't Charlotte the other game where that happened, by the way? Hmm, maybe. Not to put you on the spot. Anyway, um, I just think what, is that, what does that mean in terms of the college football playoff matchups like who presents the toughest challenge there i don't think it's actually deandre swift you would you would say normally that would be georgia where you'd fear their running backs swift has not had a very good season this year which is crazy considering the talent georgia has in the o-line certainly they could come into form and that could be a problem for clemson down the stretch um jk dobbins definitely a solid running back for ohio state and then i was actually most impressed by lsc's running back um he of the double name, double last name this past weekend, he looked to gash Alabama on the ground. Yeah, well, the good thing is, though, that you haven't seen us give up a lot of those big plays that we have in years past, even when we've had really good defenses. Part of that is due to the elite talent and experience we have in the secondary. They've done a phenomenal job all year long. I've talked um, you know, plenty of times about Isaiah Simmons and Tanner Muse in, in run defense. Um, but you know, the linebackers and the defensive line have really grown up this year and they're playing better and better and they're playing better in the run game. Um, and so you really, I think all around, you know, last year was clearly all about the defensive line. I think this year, whereas it started about the secondary, you're really seeing the entire defense start to come into form and just really excited about what we're seeing out of them. I don't think any of us, I know none of us thought that they'd be this good and I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's fake. Like, I, I know we're not playing the greatest teams, but listen, the, the, the defense has only allowed three first-half touchdowns all year, right? Um, and we mentioned under 300 yards every game. So I don't care who your opponent is. Like, that's saying something. Yeah, I think the caliber of opponent is what's keeping Clemson off people's radar for having an elite defensive performance and perhaps a lack of national household names. Um, everyone was very familiar by the – by the time they graduated with the Power Rangers and a little bit fewer household names that, you know, Kirk Herbstreet's doing his part to get out to sing the praises of Isaiah Simmons nationally, but um, really still under the radar for this defense. And I think they're going to su surprise some people um, again, still haven't necessarily seen that top 10 caliber offense uh, put this team through, through the ringer. We're but, not going to either. Yeah. We're not going to until right around new year's. Yeah. Um, but it is what it is. I mean, you can only control what you can control, as Dabo says, and this defense is doing their job. Again, it's good to, to not see a lot of the big busts and the depth that wasn't there across the defensive line and at the linebacker position maybe at the beginning of the year is starting to show up now as a lot of these younger guys, um, guys like Spectre and Venables, um, are starting to play a lot better and get a lot more significant playing time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
really impressed by what Logan Rudolph's done. And then yep. um, also Justin Foster. Those are just yep. two names that stick out to me from the defense in this game. Um, have, again, Havoc plays, sacks, tackles for loss, turnovers. Uh, really, really good stuff. Yeah, and then Tyler Davis on the inside has been amazing all year long as a true freshman. And uh, Pinkney and Williams have played better and better as the years gone along. Yeah, pretty great. It's funny those guys were basically the the stalwarts of the the Power Ranger era, um, and in some ways you could say they've been kind of outmatched now, played by some of the the true freshmen and redshirt freshmen. Uh, but great to see sort of them hit their stride down the stretch as leaders on this defense. And um, man, if we if we could put their experience coming back, you know, get that on the right level. You've also got guys like Xavier Kelly going through position changes and continuing to be able to stay on the field because of the quality of play um, really bodes well for if we do find ourselves in a shootout, having depth that you can count on and trust to make a big play in the right situation where the right level of stop, the right three and out, whatever it ends up being, can make all the difference in a game there where we're going up against a high-powered offense like an LSU. Yeah, and I, I still think the biggest factor when we look back on the season, specifically in regards to the defensive line, is how important the emergence of uh, Tyler Davis has been and just be able to go out there and play from day one right away. Yeah, outstanding job recruiting and developing him, and kudos to that kid for also being one of the most gregarious guys to ever don at the Tiger Orange. So um, really cool to see that. Those guys on the vlog this week went to an elementary school right around Clemson, and it was great. I encourage everyone to watch that. Yeah, and you know that's a, that's across the entire team. I, I love the character of these guys. I love to see them in interviews and just really continue to be so impressed by the demeanor of the, the guys that come through this program. Uh, you know, I've mentioned this several times. I was nowhere near as mature as most of these guys when I was that age, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, just you know, congratulations to them and, and all the respect in the world, and you know, just super proud of them and proud that they represent Clemson. Absolutely. Um, I guess the last thing, Ben, about this game, I don't know much else to share about the defense. In my mind, this was a, this was a near shutout. Um, you do have the big chunk plays. Um, any other comments from you on the defense? So there's one more little nugget that I started to notice, and I haven't seen anybody write about this, but I've noticed that Isaiah Simmons is one of those guys on defense that stays in late into the games when the other starters have already come out. And maybe a little bit you see that with A.J. Terrell, and the reason I think that is is because he's a guy that's going to play every defensive play of the game if it's close, no, no matter what, right? You're not subbing out. You don't have another guy that can go in there and, and, and sub for Isaiah Simmons and come anywhere near to the level of production that you have from him. So it's been interesting to see that he's constantly in there when all those starters have, have always come out. And I have to think it's because they just have to keep him conditioned to play that much. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's it's tricky though because I'm like man that's one guy we definitely don't want to have have tired out too much um, but you're right it's it's pretty tricky to replicate what he does and then you're running a different type of defense and then you you could start to see um, if he is spelled like people can't hold it together I would like to see though this team trying to condition the next like for next season you know if it's Mike Jones Jr. or um, I probably have this wrong because he may not be you know geared up to play that same position, but um, someone like Joseph Charleston, like someone in that role that can slide over there and, you know, I, 
think it's actually, is it Sheridan Jones or Jalen Phillips? I can't remember. One of them was working out there. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be one of those two guys, but Mike Jones Jr. Definitely. You've seen him get his fair share of playing time this year. Yeah. It's, you just don't want them to just immediately have busts or he just does so much behind the scenes, even if when he's not immediately involved in a play, um, just basically a captain on that defense. So um, I understand to your point why he's in, but it's also a, a situation where I'd love to get him some rest as well as develop guys for the future. Um, but understood he's, he's an inter- interchangeable part that is tricky to find someone to be able to replace. Yeah. And I guess before we transition, maybe this is a good transition from the defense to special teams. Um, let's talk about Skalski kicking an extra point. Um, <laughs> looks like he's got a good leg. He yanked it. Uh, claimed he didn't really get time to warm up. Apparently, BT Potter just went over there and asked him if he wanted to, to kick, and Dabo said, uh, Skalski was like, hell yeah, and Dabo was like, go for it. Um, he joked yeah. he thinks he may have missed his chance to, to, to get one, but um, very – yeah, I wasn't paying when it was at the last touchdown of the game. Yeah, I wasn't in real time. I wasn't paying that much of attention. So I read about it afterwards. Uh, but really cool to see, you know, first you have a guy, Ben Batson, wearing number 92 playing quarterback. And then you got your starting middle linebacker kicking extra points. That's when you know life is good. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Life is good for us and unfair for a lot of other teams. Yeah. I, we got to do it, Ben. We got to talk about the quote unquote disrespect factor with the end of this game and how Dave Doran reacted in the, the so-called handshake at midfield, blah, blah, blah. Um, and some of the, the media punditry coming out about Clemson not showing class in the win. Look, the minute you ranked Clemson fifth, you, you sent a message. And that message is, you don't belong. We need to see you prove it. You don't have high enough ranked teams on your schedule. That translates into needing style points and or putting up a big number, a crooked number on the scoreboard. And that's why I think you saw, to some extent, Clemson throwing the ball, you know, pushing down the field. But what you also had on the other side is, number one, NC State not being able to stop Clemson's second and third string offensive players. And number two, like Dave Doran's calling timeout with 30 seconds left. Like, just take your L and move on. And if you're going to call a timeout, they're going to throw it. Chase Bryce is going to put that ball in that end zone. Yeah. Well, listen, man, like Dave Doran's a, he's a big boy, right? It's not a FCS school that we're playing. Doran gets paid like $3 million a year. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm sorry. Like your team should play better. Like we Absolutely. should be, we should be allowed to play football. Yeah. Like again, we, we, this isn't, this isn't, um, Wofford or Charleston Southern or the Citadel or South Carolina State or teams like that. Like this is North Carolina State. They're a Division One program. They're in the ACC. They've come close to beating us three, four years ago. So, and, yeah. and you know they were stealing our towels and blaming on laptops. So you get what you, you get. What you get. You make, you make the bed you lay in. Yeah, that's right. I I will say if we happen to have played, you know, Dave Clawson's Wake Forest team in a similar unranked position the week after the playoff committee did its thing, we probably would have shown a little more mercy toward the end of the game. I think it's just a matter of it being Doran and Dabo and some of their history, some of the stuff you mentioned. Um, I was loving it. Again, that's all on Doran. Yeah, totally. And Bradley Chubb, if we're being honest. Yeah. So, <laughs> Although I will reiterate that I thought that was hilarious. Oh, totally. I, I, look, I love when we have these kind of chippy, petty rivals, especially with with coaches on the other side, like going back to Scott Schaefer at Syracuse, 
I love that stuff. Like that's what makes this sport really fun because it doesn't really happen in like pro football or yeah. other aspects of life. Like people just, they're too PC or whatever. They don't want to give too much fodder to the other team or what have you. Um, so I love it. And if we're not going to give crap to Christian Wilkins and Ben Bulware for, for poking people in the butt, then we can't really give anybody crap for stealing towels. Yep, exactly. So it's part, just part of what makes this sport an amazing thing to follow, keep yeah. track of. So I don't know. I think, we, I think that's all I've got for NC State overall. I mean, um, what once was a tricky place to play for Clemson, or at the very least, you know, a challenging place to win, um, was a complete laugher. It's kind of the, you know, the, the theme of the season and the theme of what the last two seasons have been, just Clemson continuing to distance itself from the field in the ACC. Um, I think, Ben, we're starting to get a better picture in the ACC of, number one, like who we're going to play potentially in the ACC championship game. And number two, it's just a bummer based on how one of those teams perform Virginia Tech that we're not going to be able to secure what will probably be our only shot at a top 25 win this year because Wake Forest lost, who we play this week. So let's take a look around the ACC. In this weekend, I mean, the one big matchup that we were all keeping our eye on because it might have dictated college football game day um, or just in general, giving Clemson its chance at a ranked win, uh, Wake Forest goes into Virginia Tech and ultimately loses that game to the Hokies. Um, Since a nightmare September, Virginia Tech and Justin Fuente have had a pretty solid season. Now, granted, they're not, you know, really dominating. The, they're playing the coastal for the most part, and uh, but they are taking care of business. And they do look pretty formidable. Where are you at, Ben? On number one, that Wake loss, and uh, you know they're obviously our next matchup. And then, I'll, let's start there. Well, first, I'll echo your sentiments about Virginia Tech. I mentioned in the last episode that they still have a real shot of of winning the coastal. Virginia's only ACC game left is against Virginia Tech in the last game of the season. And so Virginia Tech has at Georgia Tech versus Pitt and then UVA to finish up. If they win both against Georgia Tech and Pitt, they will be sitting at five and two of the conference along with Virginia. So that game could very well come down to, I mean, it could very well come to that game between those two teams. Um, and Virginia Tech's won like 17 in a row. Yeah, to, to determine who's going to uh, win the ACC Coastal. So interesting to see Virginia Tech come along. They've been kind of under the radar because their schedule was uh, so backloaded with their ACC, with ACC teams um, as opposed to the other teams who kind of had a more sprinkled uh, throughout the year. But as far as Wake is concerned, listen, sucks for them. I know we're disappointed because of what it does to our strength of schedule, although I don't really think it matters as long as we win. Um, yeah, playing just, a ranked wake yeah. does not allow us to have a loss. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it, exactly. It, so, yeah, and, it would be nice, but Clemson's in if they went out. Let's put it that yeah. way. But listen, Jamie Newman is a great quarterback. You hear a lot of people saying that he could play in the NFL someday. He did have two picks in this game, but uh, Sage Surratt, the leading receiver in the ACC got injured and is out as is Scotty Washington, another elite wide receiver that they have not to mention, I think it's their starting middle linebacker uh, was lost for the season a few games ago and he was their team captain. So they've suffered some injuries at key positions that a team like Wake Forest just doesn't have the depth to overcome. 
Yeah, for sure. They would have needed, you know, such a combination of events to take place to have a shot at Clemson. And largely that was going to be predicated on a, an elite passing game or, you know, an above average pesky passing game coming through. Um, doesn't seem like Jamie Newman's going to have his, his top weapons. So um, I think this is going to be yet another opportunity for Clemson to make the case for um, if there is a little bit of chaos kind of moving up in the rankings. I could probably see Clemson and the coaching staff taking a little bit of a chill pill in the second half and um, continuing to push a little bit more on the second, third string. Um, well, we'll, see. well, it's senior day, so I think you'll, you'll see a lot of those seniors um, who aren't in the too deep necessarily are going to get out on the field. And listen, the, we, we didn't even mention this, but the division's wrapped up at this point. Ho-hum, another uh, Clemson <laughs> ACC Atlantic championship. But, you know, had, had Wake Forest not lost that game, you know, we brought out the Orange Bridges against North Carolina State after Wake Forest lost early in the day. But we could have very well been going into this next weekend where the ACC Atlantic was still on the line. That's a good point. Um, so the stakes have definitely been removed from this game to some extent. So uh, first of all, like awesome to see Clemson once more put on the orange riches, but um, yeah, we probably missed out on a little bit of a high intensity matchup there. So I'm going to go ahead and say I'm a little disappointed that they lost, but um, not that it would have been that big of a, big of a test. Yeah. Bottom line, it doesn't matter. We just really need Clemson to win. But um, I mean, look at, Dave Clawson, another phenomenal job by him with this Wake Forest team. You know, every, everything being said, they're seven and two on the year. Both of those losses coming in conference play. Obviously, the one last weekend to Virginia Tech. So he's a he's a really good football coach. He just happens to be at Wake Forest. It'll be interesting to see if any other team scoops him up at some point. Yeah, typically his coaching trajectory goes like he's a, he's a very good reclamation project coach, and then he hits a bit of a plateau and then moves on to the next one. Um, he's kind of done it throughout lesser conferences, teams at lesser conferences. And I was in the ACC with what you could call kind of a bottom tier ACC program, just in terms of historical wins, revenue, all, all of that, um, alumni size, all of that. I feel like he likely will be, a, he, he may need one more season kind of proving it fringe top 25 type, type effort to justify getting a much bigger job. But I don't know. I'd add him to my, my coaching um, interview panel. If I'm if I'm an AD at kind of a middle of the pack, Big Ten, Big Twelve, SEC or ACC school. Yeah, the thing is, he, he doesn't really get a lot of marquee wins because Wake Forest is their out of conference schedule is never really that great, and there's not a lot of ranked teams to beat in the ACC, and Clemson is not going to likely be one of those. So, I mean, I guess you could look at it like that, but I mean, at Wake Forest, he's done a solid job, as good as most people can do at Wake Forest. Yeah. So again, he's, he was one of those coaching hires that I think slid under the radar a little bit. There was that one year where they got Fuente, Mark Richt, Bronco Mendenhall, and Dino Babers coming to the league. And I think Klaassen was like one or two years before that. And Justin um, Fuente. Yeah, and Fuente. I think I mentioned him, but either way, he was in that, that cohort. But um, he's proven to be one of the more successful of that kind of that era of new coaches into the league um, at a Wake Forest program that just it was abysmal before yeah, that like rick was gone after like a year a season did he just last a season in miami he went he went two, i think two okay. two seasons it um, wasn't long whatever it was right exactly and willie taggart has come and gone in that time frame as well so um, but you look at 
uh, Fuente with Virginia Tech and Bronco Mendenhall. Those are the two teams that are sitting atop the Coastal right now. So they're doing their part. Let me, let me, let me throw another team out there for you. Miami, man, won 52-27 to 27 over Louisville this weekend. Uh, their quarterback, Jaron Williams, had six touchdown passes. They could still win the Coastals. They, um, they have wins against, I think they beat Virginia, didn't they? Pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. they beat Virginia. Uh, they beat Pitt. Those are two teams ahead of them. They do not have Virginia Tech on their schedule, so they would or they don't have they already lost to Virginia Tech, so they would need Virginia Tech to lose two games, which is highly possible. And Miami only has Duke left uh, to the last game of the season, as far as ACC opponents are concerned. So this is still a very much open coastal division. I think anywhere from Miami up, Virginia, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Pittsburgh, and Miami, I still think all have a chance. Uh, to win this division. I'd have to do the math on Pitt, but I think they'd still be in there. Anything below that, no. But it's it's not cut and dry quite yet, and we, we, we know the Coastal. It's very schizophrenic. Anything can happen. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, we did see Miami earlier this year give uh, Florida a bit of a yep. game in the, in the kind of kickoff game of the, the whole season. I guess I'd have to say, I mean, you could probably look at the relative rankings of the SP plus defense and offense of these opponents. I, I'm not afraid of any of these for Clemson, but maybe you would say Miami, you know, having a, a pretty solid defense that they are getting their offense under underway. Maybe that's a team you want to avoid just being on a supreme hot streak. Well, and, and listen, you know, you mentioned the four point loss to Florida to open the season. And then they had a three point loss at North Carolina. Remember we only beat them by one at North Carolina. They've got another loss to Virginia tech and really their only really bad loss is the Georgia tech. Otherwise, they've beaten Pitt, they've beaten Florida State. I guess that's not saying a lot, but they've beaten Virginia. So they, they've quietly actually had a better season than you would have thought. Yeah, I agree. Um, so maybe, I don't know, maybe Diaz has something going there. Um, it doesn't take much at Miami to have just stuff get overhyped and then disintegrate on you. But Like the anyway. turnover chain? Yeah, stuff like that. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, look. I'm I'm at the point where I just want someone to be relevant and someone to give us a give us a good game and um, bring a little bit of respect back to the league. Yeah, these blowouts week in and week out they're fun, but every once in a while it's I guess it's nice to have a somewhat entertaining game because you know we're ten games into the season now and usually at about five games, five or six games into the season I start thinking, okay, playoffs, hurry up and get here. I want to start seeing us play some real competition and seeing what this team's about. With you. Well, we don't have to wait too long. Uh, after Wake Forest, Clemson, of course, plays the Gamecocks. They of a recent loss to group of five team Appalachian State, um, who is, you know, in fairness, a good solid program, despite losing Scott Satterfield this year. Um, but that's a pretty embarrassing loss. We will face them in Columbia this year. Uh, so wear your helmets if you're going to that game. Because uh, there will be projectiles. Yeah, South Carolina is going to have to win against Texas A&M, and then versus Clemson. The Texas A&M game is in College Station this weekend. They also get a bye week before we play them. But yeah, they're going to have to win the last two to become bowl eligible. And don't really see that happening. Although something that can make that game a lot more interesting is if they are able to pull off the win against A&M this weekend. Yeah, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword for Clemson because 
A&M will just continue to look worse and worse the more losses they take. But taking that last gasp of hope away from the Gamecock faithful in their stadium would be just amazing. Yeah, but then they come into our game with really nothing to lose, right? So I don't know. I mean, at, at the end of the day, Clemson is on paper and, well, just in reality, a far, far better team and program and has much better talent than South Carolina has. And there's no excuse for this to be a close game. I don't expect uh, Helensky to put up over 500 yards passing or whatever like Jake Bentley did last year. I like to think that's an anomaly. And I just, you know, if you go to it, – it's funny. You go to South Carolina message boards uh, uh, after the Appalachian State uh, game, which I would encourage everybody to do just for the entertainment value alone. Um, they're, the fans are pretty much saying that we could name our score against them, and I tend to agree with them. Well, you had a, you had a conversation with, with your pal Dick, didn't you, after the game? Yeah, I think Dick still thinks that we can uh, – or that they, that they can beat us, but he's usually drunk, so. We'll have to check in with him soon enough here. At some point. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, besides our game against Wake, which is going to be a 3.30 Eastern kick, uh, that is actually the same time as Georgia-Auburn. Any games you're scouting for this upcoming weekend? Minnesota has a tough one at Iowa. Oklahoma plays Baylor, so there goes Baylor's loss. Yep, um, yep. And that's about it for me. You know, I'm not watching – I don't care about ranked matchups between teams that are, like, ranked 13 and 17. Like, it doesn't matter to me anymore. Yeah, um, for sure. I, I think there's a couple of those this weekend. But, yeah, that UGA-Auburn game, that's the big one. Yeah, for sure. A lot of implications there um, across the board, including if Albert does lose and let's say Georgia whoops them, that's going to be Alabama's shot at the best possible ranking. I mean, who knows? They'll probably keep Auburn right where they were um, considering they got beat by a top four team, but, and to give Alabama that, that pedigree, but um, that'll be annoying. I think a sneaky one here is Indiana against Penn state. Um, Indiana is a real pesky team. They're seven and two on the year. They're ranked in the AP. Yeah, for sure, which is incredible. Um, Penn State, we we didn't even talk. I mean, I think we probably alluded to it when we were talking about the playoff rankings, but Minnesota took care of business against Penn State. I watched most of that game. Um, I don't know where you land on P.J. Fleck, but you kind of can't argue with the results. Minnesota has just been abysmal and dreadful, and he's got them believing and executing. So interesting stuff. And Penn State, you know, they were talked up as having a really elite defense. I think their offense was pretty lackluster and their defense also showed some cracks. Yeah. I don't even think they're worth talking about No, I think you're right. So, uh, otherwise, yeah, there's really not that much to, to captivate the attention this weekend. Um, good day to, I don't know, and to get out there and enjoy the fall, fall weather. All right, Ben. So that rounds out the weekend's slate of games. Um, anything else you got? Um, not really as far as football is concerned. I want to note a couple things. Clemson's men's soccer team is ranked number one in the country, so that's pretty cool to see. The basketball team is now 2-1 and one after suffering that, uh, that first game loss to Virginia Tech. They bounced back. They had a good win against Colgate over the weekend. Colgate's a team that I believe beat Tennessee, a number two ranked Tennessee in the tournament last year, um, if I recall correctly. Um, so I know people were disappointed Virginia Tech lost, but you know, it's, it's, don't give up. Don't give up on this team yet. It's real dumb. We're playing conference games this early. I don't like that. It it is. I don't think anybody likes it. 
Um, but it's what it is. You got to deal with it. Everybody's dealing with the same thing. Yeah, that's fair. But Virginia Tech has a new coach, and they, they lost a lot of talent. You'd, you'd hope we'd have more time to prepare for that team and, and do right. Um, all the Brownell haters came out of the woodwork on Twitter after that game. It's really annoying. So give this coach a chance. Come on. Well, and we've got a lot of young, uh, young talent on this team, transfers, and two of our best players are out right now, uh, when Clyde Trapp and uh, Bear. So those guys are going to come back. Let's wait to see this team gel. It's way too early to make any determination um, on how good they're going to be yet. And I, I still have, I still have hope for them. I s- still think that, you know, call me crazy. I think this could still be an NCAA tournament team. They may be like a ten seed, but I still think it could happen. The talent well, is there. And I'm looking forward to going over to shakingthesouthland.com and reading up from our very own Sam Ring. He's going to continue to write about basketball over there. Yep. Um, Good to see that. Good work, Sam. So Colgate actually lost to Tennessee last year in the opening That's, round. I thought Tennessee made it pretty far. They um, lost by seven, though. So they mm-hmm. gave him a fight. Yeah. So let's um, – and one other thing before we go here, let's talk about other ways that I'm wrong. Um, uh, <laughs> Tyler hit us up on Facebook and let me know that um, I got something wrong last week. And indeed I did. I mentioned that it was the first time in the college football playoff era that Clemson did not debut in the top four in the first rankings. He was right. We have for the past, what, four years, the first year of the college football rankings was the year before the 2015 season. We were not in that, so he's right on that. Um, Two other things I were wrong about that I know about, um, and, you know, I just don't normally feel the need to correct myself after the fact, Uh, but um, I mentioned uh, Jalen Hurts' injury. It was actually to Tua, and I also mentioned that we were like eight games into the season. We were actually nine games into the season, but when you're beating everybody, I kind of start losing track in that six to nine range, but hey, I do know this. We're the only 10-win team in the country right now. And you're not wrong if you say it confidently enough, Ben. It's fine. That is true. Uh, Keep fact-checking us, people. It keeps us honest, keeps us humble. We appreciate it. Um, I'll use that opportunity to plug our social media. We are, I would say, semi-active across Facebook and Twitter. That's not true. We're very active. Uh, Facebook and Twitter, you all know know where to find us. Clemson Podcast. You can seek us out. Um, we engage on there, so feel free to comment. Uh, send us an email if you like. Um, if you want to call us out for any any facts, or you want to hear us kind of explore any angles of this team, um, we'd love to do a mailbag. We just need to get your questions, so please send them to us: clemsonpodcast at gmail.com or a direct message on Twitter or Facebook. You all have been really good about doing those things, so hit us up. Um, if you've not yet done so, 10, 10 games into the season. Please take five minutes, go write us an iTunes review. Five stars would be appreciated. Um, That helps us get the word out. I love reading those reviews. Some of them are hilarious. Feel free to leave us a funny one. Um, Really good stuff. So thanks to everyone that submitted those. Anything else you got, Ben? Championship phase, man. It's exciting. It's it's getting to be crunch time. And, you know, several years ago at this point in the year, we'd be really lamenting that the season was almost over. But... Not anymore. The season is just about to get started. You're absolutely right. And I think while some of the nerves are a little bit out from, man, we just got to get past South Carolina. We got to end their streak. We got to get past that game. That could be a, tr- a trap game or a, t- a tricky one. And then get past somebody semi-ranked in the Coastal. That's not really there. That tension's not there this year in this era. But it doesn't mean, I mean, these are basically still the glory days. And it, it makes these wins no less satisfying. <laughs> you all right? 
yeah, dropping stuff over here. No, just get us, just get us to those uh, to the playoff team, so we can uh, we can start blowing those them out. It's much more satisfying to see us blow out teams like that than it is teams like North Carolina State, Louisville, and the likes. Exactly. So anyway, let's enjoy these last few games. Uh, this game against Wake, Senior Day, last game at the Valley of the Year. Very jealous for those heading out to the game. Enjoy yourselves. Be safe and stay warm. Uh, we will be back with a wake recap episode. I'm going to insist that Cody join that one. Um, and that soon enough here, we will get Sam remotely from his, from our North Carolina outpost um, to dial back into the podcast and kind of talk through some of these games. But um, stay tuned for that. Stay tuned ultimately for a South Carolina recap as well. Uh, there's going to be a lot of shakeup happening across the country, so that's going to be exciting to see. Stay tuned. We're probably going to keep the same format where we talk about that landscape to kick off our shows. We hope you like it. Please give us feedback. Uh, Stay tuned for these shows. And if you've not yet done so, please subscribe to the show on your podcast app of choice. If you use an iPhone, I recommend Overcast. It's really good. Let's wrap it up there, Ben. Thanks again for being the rock of our show, um, so to speak. And we will get back to you guys soon. And as always, go Tigers. Clemson podcast. Clemson is 10 and 0. The buyout check for Will Champs buyout. Buyout, buyout, buyout. <laughs> <laughs> and buyout is buyout. All right. <laughs> There's your outtake. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs>